The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Good Night Maryland Radio with your host, Nina Bosky. It's been more than 50 years since the tragic death of one of Hollywood's biggest stars at the time and in history, Marilyn Monroe. Nina seeks to uncover the life and death of this legendary star as it coincides with the pre-production of the feature film, Good Night, Marilyn. You'll get a chance to question, explore, and discover the secrets surrounding what really happened that fateful night back in 1962. Let's start the conversation. Here is the host of Good Night, Marilyn Radio, Nina Bosky. Hi, everyone. I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Maryland Radio, and welcome to the show as we explore the investigation, the life, and the movie all surrounding Miss Monroe herself. Well, as Goodnight Maryland fans, we are growing around the world each and every day, and it's really because of you in this story that we're shedding some great light on this mystery that has been haunting us for 53 years. Um, I love this. I saw this on a, a Facebook post this week from Bill. He says that... Uh, Good Night Maryland Radio is one of his uh, favorite uh, uh, web radio shows, and it says uh, he likes this instead of Good Night Maryland and Good Morning Maryland. And so for all of us on the West Coast, it's Friday morning if you're listening live on uh, Pacific Coast time, and it is indeed Good Morning Maryland. Well, we are in Season 2, Maryland's Last Day. So so many people surrounding Maryland's last day in her life, and they all seem to be connected but how? Well, today we're talking about Dr. Greenson, Ralph Greenson, which was a Maryland psychiatrist. We'll continue the conversation and we'll start to explore Bobby Kennedy. So that'll be coming up in just a bit. We've got some shout outs, though. Jane from North Somerset, UK. Stefan from, I hope I'm saying this right, Deva, Romania. Chelsea from Palm Beach, uh, just out of Sydney, Australia. Chantel from Quebec, Canada, EJ or AG from Tokyo, Japan, Amir from Dubai, Lisa from Studio City, California, Alexa from Attica, Greece, Karina from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Monica from Deer Park, Ohio, Eddie from West Hollywood, California, and Alba from Long Beach, California. Well, we have an exciting show. As I said, we're talking about Dr. Ralph Greenson. There are some some huge issues there in terms of their relationship, especially the last uh, remaining months of uh, year of Marilyn's life. And, uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, some of his role that he played in Marilyn's life, and then we'll get into Bobby Kennedy. But before we get started, we have some uh, announcements. I'd like to thank, of course, the Voice America Radio Network's Randall Libero, our executive producer, Mike Sergit, our engineer, and Jen, our social media person. 
but uh, I'm switching it up just a little bit before we get into the panel. I've got an exciting guest uh, with me. She is an actress. Her name is Marion Collier. Uh, she played Olga in the legendary comedy Some Like It Hot. And she'll be talking about her experience with working on the movie as well as a little insight into old Hollywood. She's uh, certainly has uh, been in the business and has worked on numerous movies and television projects. So welcome to the show, Marion. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. Well, you know, I got a chance to hear you speak at Maryland's Memorial this last month, and you told us a little bit about Some Like It Hot, which happens to be my favorite. I mean, before I even got into Maryland at all, I mean, just the fact that that movie is such a classic, I'm sure people ask you about it a lot, just uh, regardless if it's tied to Maryland or Tony Curtis or just the the, uh, Billy Wilder, for that matter. So what was your experience working on Some Like It Hot? Well, I must say it was the best experience I've ever had working on a film, and I have done, well, 19 of them. But this was early in my career, and uh, I had no idea. I, I mean, we were signed uh, for four, six weeks, and it went four and a half months. Wow. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, we were happy about that, of course, because, uh, well... She you got paid overtime. <laughs> well, she didn't show up, so we didn't care. We just came in every every day, and we sat there, and we did our little singing. Uh, Maddie Malnick, bless his heart, had us singing two numbers, uh, Down Among the Sheltering Ponds, which is uh, a number we sang as we were on the bus coming into Florida, which, of course, was Coronado, California. And yeah. that's all we ever did. We used to go every morning and rehearse. And, and by the sea, by the sea, by the beautiful sea, because uh, when we shot in Coronado, which was in the movie Florida, yeah, we were around there. Remember throwing the ball, singing "By the Sea, By the Sea." Yeah, and that's about what we did for weeks, weeks. Well, you know, and for those of you who have not seen some like it hot, when she's talking about Coronado, uh, it's the famous Hotel Dell down in, down in Coronado, which is, I mean, if you think about it, you got paid to sing every single day, you know, whether you were, you know, uh, you you needed to or not in terms of being on the, on the set. So how did you get the part? Well, it's interesting because uh, I had worked with Matty Melnick a few years before, a couple years before that. I had met him. He was the conductor of the show I was doing. I was a dancer then uh, for a while. I did everything, really. And uh, <laughs> that was it. And uh, I knew him from working six weeks with him in Lake Tahoe at Calneva Lodge. Wow. And then all of a sudden, two years later, I, I get a call. And he says, uh, "Oh, I'm doing a movie." He said, uh, "I said, oh, good." And he said, and "I wasn't, I wasn't in uh, L.A. I was in Indiana. And my, I think my sister's wedding. I'm not sure. I was there anyway. I was in Indiana." And I, I he said to me, "Yeah, I'm doing a movie uh, called Some Like It Hot." I said, well, "That's good," uh, with Marilyn Monroe, Tony Curtis, and Jack Lemmon. I said, "Great." He says, "Would you like to do it?" I says, "Yeah, I'd like to do it." So that was it. There you go. I came, I came back, and he said. Uh, so he took me to. Uh, he took me to the studio, which was. Uh, it was called Samuel Goldwyn then. Now it's called a lot. It's on Formosa, and yeah. San Monica Boulevard. So he we took know me it well. Uh, I, I met <laughs> Billy Wilder, and uh, he said to me, uh, "You know, this is about a girl's band." And I said, "Oh, that's funny." I said, 
in high school, I did play the clarinet. He said, you did? I said, yeah. I said, I wasn't a good student, and I, my cousin was the teacher, so I, I decided to be a, a musician in the band so I could get a good grade. And he said, what did you play? I said, I played the clarinet. So wow. he looked at me and he says, okay, you're Olga. You'll play the clarinet. You'll play and the clarinet. And that's how you got the part. That, I, I didn't audition nothing, nothing. Maddie took me into <clears throat> Billy Wilder, and that was it. So I got a question for you. Did you were you over at the lot or actually at the Formosa Cafe when you had your meeting? Uh, no, I was at the lot. Okay, we I was going to say I was in his office. <laughs> yeah, we uh, we did. Uh, we just had an event uh, at the Formosa last month, and uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, the Formosa right across the street there. So, yeah. so tell us a little bit about you know, obviously, Marilyn. Uh, you know, you have that famous train scene uh, with, uh, you know, not just Marilyn, but Jack and, and Tony, too. But tell us first, what was it like working with Marilyn? Well, she was very, very, uh, very shy or afraid. I don't know what it was, but she she kept to herself an awful lot. She did not hang out with us, and she did not sit around like Tony did or Jack. She never, never sat uh, in, you know, sat in the director's chairs, which we used to sit in. She just never sat amongst us. And not that, I don't think she was a snob. I just think she was insecure. And she was so, she wanted to be so perfect and so great, which she was. I mean, she was brilliant. And so she just never hung out with us. But <clears throat> I had two scenes uh, on my, by myself with her, or actually one, in the bathroom, remember, I'm, mm-hmm. well, first of all, in the uh, train berth, she says uh, to someone, bring the cup and bring a cocktail shaker. So then I come in with a hot water bottle and I say, here's the cocktail shaker. So that's yep. it. And then she, she gets out of the train berth and goes to get the ice. And so I follow her after she gets the ice. She goes down and she picks up the symbol and gets a chunk of ice and is, you know, chopping it with a, uh, a, a drummer's, uh, um, I don't know what you call it, a brush. And so I run in, and she, she goes into, into the bathroom and talks to Tony, and, you know, and he's saying, what are you doing, and this and this, and this and this, and she's cutting up the ice, ice. And so I run in, running in, saying, ice, ice, where's the ice? The natives mm-hmm. are getting restless. So she, yeah. she hands me this tray, this, it really is a big drummer symbol, I think, and she and uh, and then Tony says, "Oh, and bring and make sure you bring us a bring us a drink." And I said, "Sure." So then I run out with the symbol full of ice, go back, and then they do their little thing, and then I run back in and say, with with their drinks, and I say, "Boy, that bass player sure knows how to give a party." How diggity dog! <laughs> well, the you know we. Billy was so careful about his uh, scripts, his dialogue. That hot diggity dog was not in the original script. It was oh, not. really? No, and at the time I was, <clears throat> I was dating a very, very wonderful musician, and he's, he's the one that said to me, why don't you say hot diggity dog at the end? I said, well, do you think I should? He said, try it. And I did, and Billy kept it in. 
Oh, that's great! So you took a risk, and they they ended up uh, they ended up keeping it in the movie. You know, yeah. we uh, we decided uh, to also post that famous train scene that you just were talking about on yeah. the Goodnight Marilyn uh, Facebook page. So for those of you who'd like to see that scene again, in which Marion's talking about, it is such a classic scene with them running back and forth. You know, oh. Jack Lemon, of course. Uh, you know, in that uh, famous uh, train scene too, when he's up in the in the cart. Uh, than in the car with you guys and you start tickling tickling him as well what was it like working with jack jack was i cannot tell you he was so wonderful to us i mean he he was so great now jack was not a big star at that time i mean i knew who he was but uh, we all did because we're all actually there were only six uh, six actresses you know the other girls were real musicians oh i didn't know that there were only six of us actresses. <laughs> the rest were musicians, real musicians. Yeah. And since but, Maddie was such a, a great songwriter, uh, you know, and uh, com- everything, composer, everything, he knew these he knew these musician girls, and these girls were real musicians. Uh, we were not. But the, you know, we I, I was luckily <laughs> luckily I could play the clarinet because I I had done it in school. And then uh, Grace Lee Whitney, uh, she played the trumpet, which, of course, she didn't. But, you know, we just kind of messed around there. We did good. But, and, uh, how, and, and how did Jack, um, you know, because Jack, he seems like he was, uh, obviously, they both were, and Tony Curtis as well. How was it work, working with Tony Curtis? Oh, he was, he was wonderful. He, he was great. Uh, at that time, this is how long ago it was, we were down in Coronado, and his wife was Janet Lee at the time, and she was pregnant with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. <laughs> so that's, wow, that's to how go long back. ago it goes. He was very, very great, but uh, he didn't spend as much time with us. On the set, he was fine. He was, you know, she, of course, his wife wasn't there, but we, we all sat around, and, and, and they did sit around with us. Jack and Tony did, which, you know, Marilyn never, never did. And, and of course, working with the legendary Billy Wilder, what oh. was it like? I mean, you know, you're talking a legendary, uh, you know, director. And uh, what was it like working with him? And what do you remember from that experience? Well, uh, you know, even when we weren't, we weren't in the scenes, I w- we would sit there. I mean, I always sat there and watched him because this was a genius. And his dialogue was so great. And Izzy, the IAL Diamond, mm-hmm. who yep. you know co-wrote with him, and yep. Billy, when you when you did when you did the scene, you could see him there. In in those days, they didn't do you know now they have the, the, the computers and things like that. Billy, said, he, he mouthed every single line that was in the script. Everything one one of us said or somebody said, he he would say it, not aloud. But he mouthed every single line in that script. He knew everything. He we have brilliant. it's interesting. We have a, a a question coming from a a listener. Her name is Denise, and she's asking, uh, "What was Billy's uh, relationship with Marilyn on the set? Did they have problems uh, that you knew, that you might have known about?" I mean, he, he, he was he was very very good because he had worked with her before. You know, he did uh, Seven Year Itch. And so he knew uh, what to expect. And then, of course, the problem, I think, mainly was having Paula Strasberg there constantly. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Well, uh, Paula always stood in the back, 
behind Billy. And then Marilyn would do her scene. And then Marilyn would not look at Billy. She'd look at Paula in the back. And if Which Paula went, nodded her, her, her head down, that was yes. If she went sideways, that was no. And that's how it went. And she was there, right there. And, uh, you know, Billy put up with it because he knew, well, even like Jack Lemmon said, he says, when she came on the screen, it was magic time. And that's what it was. It was magic time. And, and so that was a little problem. But Billy never, never showed any, mm, I mean, he didn't have any fits or um, have rages or anything on the set. If he had them, I never saw them. So, Marion, you know, you've obviously worked throughout the years. You know, you you obviously were in a wonderful time period in 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 Hollywood. What do you think is is um, one of your most memorable experiences? Whether it was some like it hot or another movie that you worked on. Uh, I think you worked on uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's too. Is that correct? I did. I did. Yeah. Uh, that was a different thing. I I didn't have a major part. I had a very small part, which of course wound up on the cutting floor. <laughs> but uh, Audrey did sit around with us, Audrey Hepburn. She did, uh, you know, she sit with the kids and all this, and there were a lot of us in that party scene, and that was wonderful. But I must say, I could, there was nothing, nothing like doing some Like It Hot. I mean, that was, that's four and a half months of greatness. I would imagine so. So, you know, and then you, you've obviously been working throughout the years. You were in the Lethal uh, Weapons. Uh, you played different parts in uh, Lethal mm-hmm. Weapon I 1, did, 2, I and 3. Weapon, yeah, 2, 3, and 4. Mm-hmm. Wow, wow. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, for somebody like yourself, you know, we can only imagine, you know, when we watch the movie or think back to that time or we visit the Hotel Dell, right, to think about that time and you lived it, breathed it, and you were there. So, uh, you know, in terms of the golden age of Hollywood, is there anything you'd like to kind of leave us with as before we go into the break and, and kind of move on to our next segment? Is there something you'd like to leave us with with the experience of Some Like It Hot? in that time period. Well, uh, uh, speaking of the Dell, that's where Jack was so special. He was so great. Every time we'd finish shooting, he'd say, okay, girls, martini time, meaning martini <laughs> time. He took us all, all of us, all the actors and musicians, everybody, and we'd all go to the bar and he'd buy us all a drink. And that was, that was the, we were there, we were there only five days, we, the girls. But they stayed on and did all the other scenes, you know, like the closing scene and then the boat and everything. But Jack was so wonderful to the girls, to us. And that, wow. Uh, he was especially nice to me for some reason, but we, we were good pals. We were good buddies. Well, and it, and it uh, you know, that's a that's a, a wonderful relationship to have and a wonderful memory to have for oh. you. And I just want to say thank you so much for sharing it with us today and giving us a little insight into the classic film, Some Like It Hot. So thanks again, Marion. Well, thank you. All right. You're listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. We'll be back with the panel right after this. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tune in each week for Monica Phillips and powerful conversations. This is a thought-provoking show for business people, leaders, and entrepreneurs. We'll feature today's thought leaders and industry trendsetters from across several locations and industries. Give yourself permission to be inspired and live a fulfilling life. 
Be sure to listen to Powerful Conversations live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Night Maryland Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Goodnight Maryland Radio. I'm Nina Bosky. We've got some questions coming up. The panel is uh, getting ready to uh, explore Dr. Ralph Greenson. And, of course, we'll start getting into uh, Bobby Kennedy, Senator Bobby Kennedy, uh, as uh, he wasn't there as Senator Attorney General at the time. Uh, But before we get into that, I'd like to do my Life Bites uh, for the week, a little lesson here, a little life lesson. It's the power of intention. One of my uh, favorite personal growth experts this week died, uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer, of a heart attack at 75 years old. You know, he touched millions with his lectures on PBS and workshops and books and, and of course, his famous quotes. So here are a couple of them just to give you something to think about. With everything that has happened to you, you can either feel sorry for yourself or you can treat what has happened as a gift. Everything is either an opportunity to grow or an obstacle to keep you from going, from growing. You get to choose. If you believe it will work out, you'll see the opportunities. If you believe it won't, you'll see the obstacles. And one of his most famous ones, change the way you look at things and the things you look at change. You know, Dyer was always an optimist and uh, has uh, really kind of only welcomed positive intention into his life. And so when you called his cell phone, you'd hear this message. This is Wayne Dyer, and I want to feel good. So if your message is intended to do anything other than that, then you have the wrong number. And uh, one of my favorite all-time books is his book, The Power of Intention. And when Dyer was interviewed about what exactly is intention, he said, it's the difference between motivation and inspiration. Motivation is when you get a hold of an idea and don't let go of it until you make it a reality. Inspiration is the reverse, when an idea gets a hold of you and you feel compelled to let the impulse or the energy carry you along. You get to the point where you realize that you're no longer in charge, that there's a driving force inside you that can't be stopped. 
Look at the great athletes, musicians, artists, and writers. They all tap into that source. And if you look at Marilyn, she lived by that power of intention from the time she was a little girl. And as Wayne would say, our intention creates our reality. And for Marilyn, she did just that. So with that said, I'd like to introduce the panel. Uh, We have Leslie Kasperowitz, as well as Mary Jane Gray from Immortal Marilyn. And you can go to immortalmarilyn.com. And uh, there's a lot of information about Marilyn. I would encourage all of you, if you're Marilyn fans, if you haven't already, to check out the site. And then we have Gary Vitaco Robles, his uh, most famous book. And it's a very well well written book. And it's probably one of the most uh, unbiased and unsensationalized books out there. It is Icon, The Lifetimes and Films of Marilyn Monroe, Volumes 1 and 2. So uh, welcome, panel, to the show. Thanks for having us back. Hi, Nina. Yes, and uh, Leslie, you were out on vacation last week, and as you know, we were uh, talking about Dr. Ralph Greenson, uh, but I have a question. Let me see if I can find it here. Where is it? Oh, okay, this comes from Melinda in Yucca Valley. It says, did Marilyn Monroe ever stay with Frank Sinatra in Lake Tahoe, and did Marilyn ever want to go back to Paris, France to do any more movies? So uh, anybody want to jump in with that question? Uh, um, well, it's obviously a two-parter. <laughs> yes. Who wants to do, who wants to do the first part? As far Go as ahead, Gary. Tahoe, I know that when Marilyn was filming uh, The Misfits in the Reno area um, in the late summer of 1960, she and the crew of The Misfits, including her, her husband, Arthur Miller, uh, attended uh, Sinatra's concert at the Cal Neva Lodge. Uh, but that was an invitation that was extended to the to the entire cast, and, and Marilyn is photographed there. There's a very famous photograph of Marilyn and Sinatra. Uh, Miller is at her side, but he is always cropped out of that picture uh, in uh, news articles. And I is know that, that the one the, at the, the table. There's yes, one. Yes, t- okay. wearing uh, pearls and like a ribbon. Yes. Um, and then I, I I can place them at the Calneva. The, the weekend before she died, which, you know, we've discussed multiple times um, related to Dean Martin's concert there, and Sinatra was present, and there are some photographs that survive of Sinatra, Marilyn uh, Lawford, and and Buddy Greco, um, the musician. Okay. And uh, Mary Jane, you want to jump in, or Leslie, about uh, Paris, France? Um, Marilyn never actually went to Paris. Okay. Um, I don't know if maybe there was a, a misunderstanding. Maybe from gentlemen prefer blondes because it it centers around them traveling to France. Maybe but, that's uh, it. As far as Europe, Marilyn went to England and had a short stop over in Scotland. But other than that, she didn't go anywhere else in Europe. She wow. Was, she was invited um, to Paris, I believe, to accept the Crystal Star Award, but couldn't travel because of her pregnancy and subsequent miscarriage, so she accepted it at the uh, French Embassy in New York. That, that could also be a confusion. 
Got it. Well, that's some, uh, you know, when I heard, when I saw that question about Paris, France, I was like, I'm not sure what movies she did in Paris. So you asked the panel and here you go, you know, ask and you shall receive. So thank you panel for that. Um, so let's get into Dr. Ralph Greenson. And for those of you who do not know who Dr. Ralph Greenson is, he was Marilyn's psychiatrist, um, very much, uh, you know, involved in her life specifically, you know, the last year of her life, uh, more intensely and especially the last, uh, you know, probably six or seven months. So, Leslie, you were not with us last last week. What are some of your comments about uh, Dr. Ralph Greenson, and what are some of your thoughts on who he was to Marilyn? Or Marilyn uh, to well, him? I had a chance to, to listen to last week's show, uh, thankfully, get caught up. Um, and uh, as usual, the panel covered it beautifully. Um, but I think that Greenson started out with the best of intentions and got very much sucked in and lost um, his control of himself a little bit. And I think that he realized that after the fact. Um, there's an, in, an article, um, an interview with his son, Daniel, where he says, my father's heart was in the right place, but his mind wasn't. And I think that was a lot of the problem is that he let his heart lead the way a little bit too much with Marilyn. And we know that Marilyn was the kind of person, it's been commented on multiple times, who made people want to protect her who made people want to help her, and I think Greenson had a little bit of that going on as well. Unfortunately, as a professional in the position that he was in, that was a dangerous thing for him to um, let his heart lead the way. And so, uh, you know, maybe his intentions um, were good, but the the effect of that is, is, is not. Um, Gary, uh, what are your thoughts on what Leslie's saying? I agree with Leslie, and Greenson, although his intentions were, were probably noble, he, he clearly violated professional ethics and boundaries, and, and this, this is the concern because the, the relationship became inappropriate, and um, it demonstrated some poor clinical judgment. He appeared to be meeting his own needs through the patient-doctor relationship, and, and this ultimately compromised Marilyn's therapy. And I think we spoke last week about Stanley Cohen's article, but that really looked at this very negative dynamic. And uh, he framed Greenson's um, almost like a narcissistic neediness that, that steered the treatment away from her and to him, and that Marilyn, as a celebrity and a very charismatic woman, um, this in a way seduced Greenson. He allowed himself to become very enraptured with her um, impressiveness as a patient and somehow might have felt special himself and wanted to share in her special world. And he seemed to have a very difficult time managing his own feelings of um, envy toward that or separateness from her and probably over, overly identified with her um, and didn't seem to have any uh, self-awareness of, of his own <laughs> counter-transference issues. It's unfortunate that those other professionals around him weren't able to uh, consult with him. I don't know what type of supervision he sought for himself, but um, he was shared office space with a Milton Wexler, and it was actually Wexler who made the recommendation that, that um, Greenson invite Marilyn into his family life. And Greenson rationalized that these surrogate family relationships were somehow therapeutic, but he, he crossed the boundary and he, he uh, assumed a more controlling parental role in her life. There's a quote by him 
uh, which is disturbing. He says, and this is a letter to Dr. Marianne Chris. I was her therapist, the good father who would not disappoint her and would bring her insights, if not insights, just kindness. I had become the most important person in her life. I also felt guilty that I put a burden on my family, but there was something very lovable about this girl, and we all cared about her, and she could be delightful. And I think in that uh, reflection, he really uh, seems to inflate his own importance and somehow felt very powerful being the um, parent figure of this very charismatic woman. Did Dr. Greenson tape their sessions? I'm not aware of that. And um, Hilda Greenson, his wife, also uh, denied that um, when when, um, John uh, Miner's transcripts of a session um, was uh, released at some point. Yeah, and does anybody know? I find it interesting when you sometimes when you're um, you know ta- uh, watching these old movies, you know whether it's Rock Hudson or um, you know uh, Tony Randall, you'll see him as the sidekick, and he's always at the analysts and stuff too. Back then, were they going every single day? Because it seems like you know Marilyn went quite a bit, and she had a very strong dependency on Doctor Greenson. Does anybody want to tackle that one? Um, I will. Um, one of the things that I find most disturbing about the relationship is, you know, the, the purpose of going to therapy is to teach somebody coping skills, to make them feel confident in their own independence, and it seems like Greenson's methods were isolating her and making her more codependent on him rather than giving her the tools she needed to be out on her own. Um, there were times she was going to therapy seven days a week, sometimes twice a day, spending hours there. And then after her sessions, she would spend the evenings with the family all night long, which is, you know, an extraordinary amount of time to be spending with your therapist that you're supposed to have a, a professional relationship with. And this, this wasn't typical psychoanalysis. Psychoanalysis was, was usually prescribed three days a week. Um, and was very intensive and was expected to go on for like five to seven years. And this was mid uh, 20th century uh, treatment, Freudian treatment. And you know, in the subsequent decades, we now have you know, cognitive behavioral models that are highly effective and uh, much shorter duration and, uh, and very empowering. So you know, at, at, even at the time, though, that Marilyn was receiving this, um, form of treatment, this was this was extreme, even under psychoanalysts. So, if I hear you correctly, Gary, then um, you you know the the average patient would go in for three days a week. It was a Freudian model. How long were their sessions? Do we know? Like not just Marilyn, but average. Were they an hour like they are, or fifty minutes that they are now? I, I think they range between an hour and ninety minutes. I think that would depend upon the um, the actual provider. But now, now it's pretty set for a fifty minute session. And then, if they were there three times a week, um, you know that then uh, w- w- it's basically you know uh, the model was like a Freudian model for the listeners that are you know don't know a lot about Freud. What would that entail in terms of the dialogue between patient and doctor? 
Oh, he would be going into um, into her her background and trying to you know go over painful incidents in the past and try to analyze and interpret them based upon um, Freudian um, beliefs, which are are no longer um, best practices. Yeah, you know, and even, then even Freudian psychology has evolved in the years and has integrated the cognitive behavioral therapies that are, you know, that are empirically based as highly effective skills building, reducing symptoms, returning um, patients to higher previous levels of functioning. You know, it's a very empowering model. I think for the issue, though, was Marilyn was an abuse survivor, and she likely had borderline personality disorder. And the, the understanding of that at this point in history was very limited and you know, my, my perception is that this form of therapy kept her anchored in the past and just reliving very disturbing themes, trying to find meaning into it. And when you look at Freudian stuff with um, beliefs about children desiring their parents, this would be very damaging, I believe, for a woman who was um, sexually, sexually abused in childhood. So and this it- is not trauma-informed care. Um, uh, she actually seemed healthier before she became involved in this form of treatment. Um, yeah. So, so now she wouldn't be so grounded in the past. She would be um, moving toward real uh, change and skills and empowerment. Healing. Yeah, and, and I want to talk about that after the break a little bit more um, as, as we, you know, kind of dive into this because, you know, you even look at the last day of Marilyn's life, right? You have, um, I think it was Ralph Roberts that was going to be doing, a, I think, a barbecue over at Marilyn's. At least that's what he said, right? Uh, later in the day, you had Pat Newcomb there, right? And then all of a sudden, there's just something that trans- transpired where Dr. Greenson is coming over. And you think about that in terms of uh, borderline, potentially a borderline personality disorder or a mental disorder and being able to shift like she did. She did and and was known to do is, um, you know, was there something that triggered that or is that just something that happens with uh, that type of disorder? So let's talk more about, you know, Dr. Dr. Greenson's relationship. We'll start introducing, um, you know, Bobby Kennedy into into the mix. Not sure how far we're going to get with him today. Um, You know, obviously we can keep talking about this. Uh, My guests are Leslie Kaspirowitz, Mary Jane Gray, and the panel, of course, that also includes Gary Vitaco Robles. We'll be back in just a moment as we explore the relationship between Dr. Ralph Greenson and Marilyn Monroe. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics. 
strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Goodnight Maryland Radio. Help us explore the mystery that is and was Marilyn Monroe. Call into our program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to MarilynLiveTalk at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Goodnight Marilyn Radio. We are in Season 2, the last day of Marilyn Monroe's life. We've been discussing Dr. Ralph Greenson for the last uh, couple of weeks, a very important person. Uh, obviously, he he knew and uh, knew a lot of uh, what was going on with Marilyn. Some people even say that he's directly responsible for her death. Um, we don't know that. Those are a lot of theories um, that are out there. He obviously, you know, whether he had good intent or not, um, his practices today, and that's a question that I have for the panel. Uh, uh, Jamie uh, had uh, sent in a question. Um, would Dr. Greenson uh, be responsible for um, for Marilyn's uh, death today? So that, that's a question we've been asked before, but uh, let's, uh, Leslie, what do you think about uh, that question and Dr. Greenson today? Um, I think that had Marilyn died today under those same circumstances, there definitely would have been an investigation into both Greenson and Engelberg and um, how they handled her medication and their apparent lack of communication about what she was taking and wasn't taking. Um, Certainly the fact that Engelberg lied about what he prescribed. Um, We've never come up with any prescriptions written by Greenson. We know that Engelberg wrote the majority of them. So whether or not Greenson was fully aware of what she was truly being prescribed would definitely be a question that would come up. Um, So whether he would be held responsible is very difficult to say. I think it would have been investigated very differently, certainly, and I think that those two doctors would have gotten a much closer look in that investigation. Here's the thing that I have a problem with or something that I keep scratching my head with, and I might have mentioned it last week as well, is that when you are seeing somebody once a week or once a month or every once in a while, right, not to know what they're taking specifically when you know um, how uh, critical her condition is, right? And he definitely knew how critical her condition was. The fact that she was so over-medicated, and we could have established that today, uh, I, I, can't, I can't understand why he wouldn't be more aware of what in the world she was taking and what he was prescribing her, Dr. Engelberg was prescribing. Uh, anybody well, want to jump in we- on that one? Yeah, We have an indication that he may have known that she had Nembutal in the house the day that she died because um, allegedly she asked him if he had taken her Nembutal, which is one of those you know things that we can't say for sure um, that she really did say. It's one of those phone conversations that unless we had a recording, it's hard to say. 
Um, but I've always wondered why he didn't question, since he and Engelberg were supposed to be weaning her off Nembutal, why she had Nembutal in the house at the time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Gary, I know you wanted to make a point, uh, uh, a point about Joan uh, Greenson, too, uh, which is uh, Dr. Uh, Greenson's daughter from her memoir. What do what'd you want to add to that as well? She, she um, described that that Greenson was trying to avoid Maryland doctor shopping for various medications, which she probably did in, in, in the past. So um, he pretty much supported her going through one physician, Dr. Engelberg, um, where she would make her requests based upon her symptoms. Engelwood would, would prescribe. And then it was Engelberg's responsibility to consult with Greenson about what medications he had actually issued. And then Greenson was to make a judgment call on whether the amount was excessive or dangerous. And this whole safety mechanism was contingent upon Greenson actually going to her house and uh, viewing the vials on her nightstand and either removing some of them or um, taking away um, a portion of the supply that she would have. And um, because, you know, I've heard through multiple sources that what what broke down that particular um, week was that uh, Engelberg had separated from his wife and wasn't clear in his communication, and Greenson, having spent a significant amount of time at Marilyn's house and was trying to leave to get to a dinner date with his wife, um, might not have done what he normally does. Greenson, uh, rather, Joan Greenson says that he did not see the Nembatol in Marilyn's bedroom as it was in another room, and it was assumed that it was given to Pat Newcomb for her access because she had spent the, the previous night there, and it was an oversight. But the safety plan that they have in place seems rather haphazard and reckless, and again, based upon, it puts Greenson in this powerful position of being the safeguard of the medicine where he actually physically observes them and takes, takes them away. Yeah, Very and it just, it's it, well, it's disturbing. And I, I sit there and I think about, you know, good intentions, right? And, um, you know, that he had a heart for her. But I wonder at the end of the day, if he really had a heart for himself, meaning that he put himself first, his relationship, his sense of power, because I find this very disturbing with a lot of doctors. You see it with, uh, you know, you saw it with Dr. Um, with Michael Jackson, you know, uh, I will say yes to you over what I know is right for you. And maybe what's right for you is saying no and walking away. And yet nobody wanted to really stand up to her or any addict for that matter, because you're going to really be told maybe no, or they're going to get it from somebody else. And so, again, trying to take it into his own hands. Um, so let's get into the last day. You know, we, we, we're touching on it right now. You have Pat Newcomb, who is, uh, you know, uh, there that day. Um, you know, there's reports that Marilyn were was upset with her because she slept um, much more soundly and Marilyn didn't get a chance to sleep. There's reports that Bobby Kennedy were there that day and that Marilyn was making, uh, you know, uh, being upset about that and that uh, Pat was, you know, trying to get uh, Marilyn to walk away from the Kennedys and stop calling them, etc., 
you know, I won't get into the the more, uh, you know, uh, gritty details of that right now. Um, but Dr. Greenson was called in and he was there for a couple of hours. What in the world do we know that he was talking to her about smack in the middle of the day when you have your friend visiting? I, I don't understand that one. So tell me about that. Anybody want to jump in? Well, we don't know what they were talking about, obviously. Um, we know that Pat Newcomb left around the time that he arrived um, and it, that it may have been Greenson who asked her to leave, um, possibly because he felt that she was upsetting Marilyn. Um, but as for what was said in that session, um, it, it's, nobody really knows. So that would go into conjecture as to whether she was allegedly upset because of a, a visit from Bobby Kennedy, um, which some people believe, uh, or whether it was just one of those shifts of mood um, to do with not having slept. We, we just don't absolutely know what they talked about. Question I have for you, do we know in Marilyn's books, like her appointment book, was that session scheduled? Does anybody know that? I'm not aware of that, but weekend appointments were the norm in this therapeutic relationship. There had been other Saturdays um, where he had seen her. Okay, so that was not out of the ordinary. Yeah, it's um, unclear as to whether he was called to this visit due to some some issue with Marilyn that she called upon him or, or someone in her circle called upon him or if this was a scheduled meeting. It was rather late in the day, um, so it, it suggests the possibility that perhaps it was more spontaneous than scheduled, but that's conjecture. Yeah, and also I think, you know, whether it was planned or not, it seems like it went later than it was supposed to because he was trying to get out and go to uh, dinner with his with his wife. Uh, so the question I have for the, for the panel, and Mary Jane, maybe you want to jump into this one, is that last phone call and kind of getting into, you know, what we do know about, um, that he was there for a couple of hours, he left, and when he did leave, um, I think even Dr. Engelberg talked to her about 6.30 at night, she seemed like she was in pretty good spirits. Um, there wasn't uh, a lot of, um, you know, uh, despair or hurt or anger. And uh, Joe DiMaggio uh, Jr. had spoke to her. Um, and, and then all of a sudden something happened between that 8 and 9 o'clock hour that changed things and that last phone call. Uh, who wants to address that wonderful last phone call? Jump in here. Gary? Well, the, the, the phone call with DiMaggio Jr. Uh, went very well, according to Eunice Murray and according to Joe DiMaggio Jr. It was a brief phone call. He shared good news. You know, Marilyn was an actress, and this was her stepson, and she was extremely supportive of, uh, of him. So I, I, can, I can see the potential for her, uh, if she were upset, that she could have faked it to get through this phone call. Um, so I'm not really clear about... Um, about uh, about the shift. She could have been disturbed before, but I, but I do know that when that phone call ended, she initiated a phone call to Greenson. She reached out to him one more time after he was already there. It's described as following up on the content of uh, Joe Jr.'s call, but, I, but I've often wondered if, if there was more than that, um, if there was more than that discussed or that was just an excuse to call. And, and this was really the, the last phone call, aside from possibly Peter Lawford making, making one more. So there, there could be a significance to this, and we only have Greenson's point of view on this, and he talks about Marilyn asking, did you take my Nembutal? 
and he a, a vial, and he said no, he did not. And apparently, they agreed to either meet or talk the following morning. But you know, knowing Marilyn's diagnosis of borderline personality disorder and and her difficulties in separating from Greenson, who fostered this dependence, because what he would do is he would foster the dependence, but then kind of feel resentful and then pull away, and this would only exacerbate her symptoms. And so, you know, part of the diagnosis is this frantic effort to avoid real or imagined abandonment. And, and um, it, you know, when, when this is going on for someone who's challenged by this, that disorder, it kind of implies that there's something bad about them while they're being rejected, and, and there's this intolerance of being alone, um, and sometimes when someone's feeling abandoned, they're in such pain that with this diagnosis, they might try some self-injury, either as a way to just reduce the pain in the moment, which is so overwhelming, or as a way to communicate that they're in such pain uh, because they don't, they don't have any other way to articulate that. So um, it's interesting that after this session and after this reaching out again, you know, then we hear Marilyn is, you know, the official word is she immediately overdoses and there's some shift away from where she had been before. This is pretty significant with this disorder. And it, well, it seems uh, to be connected to this rather unhealthy relationship, which had no boundaries when it really needed to have very clear and concrete boundaries. Well, it's very interesting you're talking about this because one thing you said about Dr. Greenson said that he was planning on talking with her the next, uh, you know, the next morning and being able to pick up, you know, again, it speaks to intent. Was her intent to commit suicide that night? Based on what everybody has said, a lot of the experts, even you guys as a panel, um, we have never ever came up with that she actively went into uh, taking her own life, you know, uh, that that night. And, um, you know, did something trigger her with the, the you know, potential uh, symptoms of borderline personality? You know, obviously you can switch, uh, you know, very quickly. And we may never know what, uh, you know, Dr. Greenson and her talked about. And that's the challenge. You know, we, we go down these pathways. There's a lot of things that we do know. And then there's a lot of things that uh, we don't know. Uh, Mary Jane, what, do you, what is some of your comments on what Gary's saying? Hello, Mary Jane, are you there? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't hear you. Uh, could you repeat the question, please? Yeah, no, I just said, you know, uh, what are you, some of your thoughts about what uh, Gary is saying? Or Leslie, if you want to jump in as well, oh. um, you know, in terms of what Gary's talking about in terms of borderline personality in that last call. Well, naturally, I, I generally, about 99% of the time, agree with what Gary said. And uh, that last call is very intriguing for me because it, if it, in fact, happened, it does seem like it was, something of a catalyst almost, and I wish there was more information about it, but all we really have is Eunice Murray's account and the notations in the original reports from Greenson himself, and we will likely never know what was said, and that's very frustrating because it seems like that may be a clue to what happened. 
Yeah, and also I think what uh, what uh, Gary had said about abandonment issues, if she felt abandoned or rejected by Dr. Greenson, uh, you know, the theory that uh, Bobby Kennedy was there that day, if he was indeed and felt any kind of rejection, was that part of it? Was it not part of it? Um, we don't know. We're going to have to pick up where we left off uh, next week and start the conversation about uh, Bobby Kennedy and what actually happened that day or what we do know as, as theory fact versus fiction, probable theory versus outlandish rumor. Leslie, any uh, remaining comments? Uh, no, just I think just to add to what uh, both Gary and, and Mary Jane has st- said, um, we know that Dr. Greenson had plans that evening, was getting ready to go out, and it's very possible that he was a little annoyed when she called, having already um, possibly interrupted his day to go and see her and spend several hours with her. He's now um, shaving, getting ready to go out. And it's very possible that the way he responded to her was just enough to make her feel that sense of abandonment. Uh, but again, that's that's conjecture. So, Exactly. So, Gary, anything uh, remaining if we end uh, this week's show? Well, I'm, I'm reminded of Lois Banner when she was on the show with us and, and spoke with us about Robert Littman um, on the suicide prevention team and what his take. He had a theory of his own. And that might be interesting um, for us to, to explore because it's, it's related to this therapeutic I'll, relationship. You are, you are reading my mind because next week we are going to be talking about Attorney General Robert Kennedy at the time, as well as we're getting into the suicide prevention team and Dr. Robert Lippman, who headed it up. And we'll be discussing this further as we continue our conversation on Season 2, Last Day of Marilyn Monroe's Life. I'd love to thank the panel once again, Gary Vitaka robles Mary Jane Gray, and Leslie Kasperowitz. Thanks for being on the show, as well as Mary. Marion Collier, Some Like It Hot. I suggest if you haven't seen that movie, you definitely rent that one. It'll put you in a good mood. So thank you all for listening. This wraps up this week's show. Until next time, I'm Nina Bosky for Goodnight Maryland Radio. And remember, never stop dreaming. Thank you for joining us for today's show. Good Night Maryland Radio with Nina Bosky can be heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be sure to tune in again next week. <music>